Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U, where there are no degrees because the learning never stops. I'm Dove, a TA here at Gooner U, and my friend Keith is our stalwart distinguished professor of Arsenal and football studies. This week featured Arsenal's winter break, so it's uh, it's on us to come up with uh, what we're going to be talking about this week. <laughs> hey, Keith, how you doing? I'm I'm just I don't know what to do with myself. There's no game. There's nothing. I I have a weekend. I I watched football, American football. That was fun. Oh boy. Um, I say that like I don't watch it anyway. But still, you know, it, <laughs> it, it's amazing how it just sort of it, especially coming out of the winters where it's like I don't even know what day it is, and then the games are just coming, 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 and then all of a sudden you get this weekend and. <laughs> just just pictures of of Ben White wearing as few clothes as possible in a field somewhere in Dubai. So, yeah. <laughs> I guess the tan's natural. Yeah, yeah. That's. <laughs> I'll leave it to the listeners to to seek out more info. <laughs> <laughs> It's not. It's. I should say. It's. It's. It's PG. It's. 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 It's G rated. It's just. You see him on the practice field. The pictures and his his yeah. shirt sleeves are roll up. His yeah. shorts are like roll up. It's like it's about as much skin exposed as you can imagine. Um, yeah. It's good for him. Good for him that he's in a place. It is not like that where I am. And I'm sure you're the same. No, you said it's uh, particularly cold there, huh? Today, t- today, I you know I, I make fun of Texans and their ability to handle cold weather. I believe the high today was 31. Hmm. Uh, so it was it was uh, no according to 28. So it was it was cold today and and sleeting and just just terrible, just awful stuff. But uh, once again, one of those few times each year when your weather is about the same as ours. Yeah. <laughs> Because, yeah, so, that's not going to be true in the summer. I promise you no, that. No, <laughs> no. So what's going on with the Asian Cup? All right. So, yeah, uh, international competitions are underway. The Asian Cup, both the Asian Cup and the African Cup of Nations, which I have to say African Cup of Nations is just an awesome name. I love it. I just love saying it. Also shortened to AFCON, but I don't say Cup of Nations. Uh, both underway as of this weekend. Uh, the Asian Cup is in Qatar. Um, since we're since we're following um, our countries, uh, Japan has played. Uh, they beat Vietnam for two. Uh, Tomiyasu did not play in this game, hmm. which is curious and hmm. a little concerning, uh, given we know he. We know he has occasionally a bit of a fragile constitution, uh, certainly I think in his legs. He's had some difficulties with injuries, and then also just. Um, you know, obviously, he's very important to our defense and how thin right. it is at times. And so uh, that's a little little disconcerting that he did not play in their opener against Vietnam. Uh, Japan has two games left, uh, Iraq and Indonesia. I was just scrolling through. I did see India. Yes, India lost to Australia 2-0. Um, they are also in a group with Uzbekistan and Syria. So, um, you know... They lost to the best team in the group, but you know Uzbekistan is a is a tough one. Syria, um, you know that that might be a game that the Indians uh, perhaps do well in and hope maybe get the, for them to get themselves a chance into the knockout stage for third. So, hmm. uh, so the Asian Cup is underway. Um, otherwise, we don't really have much else to say about Asia, do we? I don't think. Yeah. No, uh, I, I, I certainly don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. And then we're throwing uh, the African Cup of Nations. We know Thomas Party is not with Ghana. Right. Uh, Mohamed Elneny is with Egypt, uh, played most of the game, started but but came out before the end. Um, Egypt, in fact, drew with Mozambique 2-2. Hmm. Uh, Mo Salah, a penalty in the 97th minute uh, for Egypt to rescue a draw with Mozambique. 
Uh, presumably, at, which makes me think uh, El Nini was pulled uh, for tactical reasons. The tactic in question being we need to score a goal. Right. And the Egyptians did. Uh, they uh, So they rescued a draw with Mozambique. They still have Ghana in their next game, and then they will play uh, uh, Cape Verde, uh, who's currently on top of the group. Nicknamed the Sharks, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, so there's that. And South Africa has yet to play. They play tomorrow. Wait, we have a days. Yes, tomorrow is the 16th. South Africa will open with Mali. They're also in a group with Tunisia and Namibia. So... Huh. Um, the tournaments begin uh, this time of the year. And fortuitous as they're playing at this point, as you said, because Arsenal, because Arsenal has so few games uh, at right. this time of year, thankfully, coming out of the holidays. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good to note. Um, so the, the first thing that I wanted to discuss with you this week is I had a few follow-up questions listening back to last week's episode. So mm-hmm. some things that my mind was noodling over that I didn't have a good answer for. So so first of all, so we discussed the uh, yellow card accumulation rules in the Premier League. And we said, for instance, that you're allowed five, or I think it's your fifth Yellow card in the first 19 matches yields uh, suspension. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yes. So what I'm wondering is, so, okay, let's say that happens to you in your 15th game. You mm-hmm. get suspended. You can't play in the team's 16th game. You come back in the 17th and you get another yellow card. What happens at that point? Does that yield another suspension? No. So the next the next level of the suspension is the thing we talked about was ten after ten yellows right. after twenty four games. So that just starts your accumulation to the okay. next one. Um, yeah. So that that's really yep. all that is. Like it's it, it's not a free one that you get in there or anything. Or nor is it as you suggested an extra suspension. You are right. just in this case. Um, it, it's the accum- basically your accumulation starts because it is ten. It's ten for the first twenty four. Or uh, I think it was twenty four or whatever, whatever it was. I'm gonna say about halfway through the second half, um, whatever that number was. Um, theoretically, you could go to a case you only get one maybe through the first nineteen, but then you started picking them up dramatically, right. and all of a sudden you hit that ten. Okay, which, which really bad. but so you only get suspended when you hit those boundaries in between, and presumably there is a third one that players are not likely to hit, but there probably is one again, where if you get like 20 in some interval or 15 or something, but... Right, yeah. Right. There's, there's no, yeah, these, they, like they, every they, five they, yellow cards across matches, you have a suspension. It's just a matter of how many games you're allowed to get those, is what it seems like. Something like, something yeah. like that, I think, okay. is, is the good way to explain that. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so... We were also talking about the U.S. Open Cup and that mm-hmm. MLS is kind of cagey, looking like they're not going to participate or they would like to not participate or like not to participate. Um, so that got me thinking. And you, we were talking about you, you had mentioned how um, that this is a tournament that is sanctioned by MLS. And because they are of a top division in our country, like in our confederation, like or the U.S. Association, like within U.S. Soccer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm wondering is, so why? And I guess this is mostly pertinent in the U.S. This question compared to internationally, where we have so many other sports that do operate on different models. Um, what is the benefit to MLS of being 
a part of U.S. soccer, being part of even FIFA, right? Like, why would a club want to join those organizations? What do they get from it for, presumably, you know, greater control that they have to cede to someone outside their, their own organization? Well, basically, it's the idea of sanction is the, is the suggestion that it gives you that sort of overarching organized body. So in terms of setting the rules, um, you get access to their pool of referees. I mean, theoretically, I guess you could do an entire separate organization and just pay for it yourself. Um, I, this is in a lot of ways, I think, uh, if we go back to the Super League, this is a lot of the, the in this case, is the Super League was something separate and distinct from UEFA. Okay, right. Within Europe, UEFA, and we talk about you know the 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 governing body helps set the rules, helps organize tournaments, helps uh, it really helps. um, That's what I'm looking for. Regulate interactions between leagues as well, and so without that overarching body, everything has to be done on an individual basis, which could theoretically be done, but obviously becomes a lot more complicated when you consider just how many leagues there are around the world. there are other elements to it. Uh, there are certainly other elements, I, I guess, in terms of, um, you know, the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? So I'm having trouble with the, this is the business side of it. So some of the linguistics get a little, get a little sure. dicier here. But I mean, in, in this case, U.S. soccer sets a series of standards as to what counts as a, di- a first division, a second division, because we don't have the same kind of pyramid where, you know, clubs are promoted and relegated, relegated. Uh, from within, like even in England, the FA kind of umbrella governs everything, but the Premier League really governs itself. Um, okay. but, with, uh, but within the the rules and system created by the FA, who does things like provide referees um, or helps provide referees, um, right? You know, in terms of the, I, I, I guess theoretically you could go yourself, but there, I mean, certainly when it began, and so you know, a little history back. When the U.S. was granted the the, 90, the World Cup for 1994, one of the one of the things they promised to FIFA when they when they were granted it, which would have been back in the mid to late 80s, was that they would actually have a top level league because they didn't have one. There was a league, the, the remnants of the North American Soccer League, which may have already collapsed by that point. There was a smaller, I think it was the what was then the A League, was sort of around but like calling it semi-pro is maybe a little is maybe giving it a little bit too much credit but the idea was you had a a functional professional league at least closely working with the governing body of the sport um you know for that kind of for that kind of regulatory oversight um and and so MLS the the deal was in that MLS would start and money was put forward and so the league began in 1996 two years after the World Cup um, and and certainly because of the way they began U.S. soccer and MLS have always had a relatively close relationship in fact that was one of the things that was so kind of shocking about MLS's decision to pull out of the U.S. Open Cup was that U.S. soccer didn't seem to know they were going to do that. Now, for a lot of reasons, those relationships have separated out. I mean, MLS has done a lot more be- to become much more standalone as an organization. Um, you know, it's not so much U.S. soccer doesn't govern MLS, I guess is the best way to say that. Partly because MLS is really a cross-country, an international league. Remember, we have teams in Canada. Um, but, you know, they, there are certain benefits, I suppose, they get from that idea of the sanction of being a Division One league, their connection to U.S. soccer. Essentially, if you break away from that, if you are not following the rules or sanctioned as a Division One league, well, 
two things can happen. One, you're completely on your own. You're not playing by U.S. soccer's rules, so you don't get to be a U.S. soccer-affiliated group. Also with that, now they have U.S. soccer might have the ability to sanction another Division One, and now all of a sudden you have competing leagues. Okay, sure. Which in the U.S. in particular, nobody's going to win in that because we just don't have the, the soccer fan base in this country right. to pull off two you know, to pull off two independent leagues like that. And we should point out, because as far as I'm aware, once U.S. soccer came back and said, MLS, no, you cannot send your second division team, your reserve teams to to the U.S. Open Cup. You have to compete in the U.S. Open Cup. Um, apparently, that's been the end of the conversation. As far as I'm aware, MLS okay. clubs are, in fact, competing in the Cup uh, this year, and they're, I believe they're being listed in the draw and, and all the same. Um so, we may just expect heavily rotated lineups or something. Perhaps even more than you were seeing. And I think we touched on this a little yeah. bit. A lot, you know, so much as this is, is philosophical as far as how much importance you place on this tournament. MLS clubs, in, MLS clubs in particular, will tend to put a little bit less emphasis on it in the earlier rounds. The deeper you go in the tournament, the more you're going to see the top level players because sure. then it's like, oh, we we can actually win a trophy. Uh, yeah. Which you know, in the when you're playing in the third round of the round of 32, yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, roll the dice. Maybe we get a good draw. Maybe we pull this off. Uh, but once once you get that, once you get deeper into the tournament, and it, becomes a real possibility to win something, then you really see them pick up. Which, as mm-hmm. we said, is sometimes how you see how English clubs deal with the FA Cup. When, or the Europa League, as we talked about that. Arsenal, we try to play heavily rotated lineups in the Europa League. Had we progressed deeper quarters, definitely the semifinals or the final, you would have seen the top lineups starting, because like, that was right. a real chance at a trophy. You know, the FA Cup, in this case, ours was our FA Cup experience this year is a little different because we opened with Liverpool. We had the break coming. We really wanted to win that. And of course, we didn't. And that was disappointing. But had we drawn Barnsley? Yeah, you might have seen a rotated side, but maybe not because we had the break coming. So there's all sorts of little things that play into how you approach that kind of game uh, or those games and those competitions and what they mean. It, It gets really dicey. Later in the season, with all the comp- when all the competitions start to pile up on each other, then you really start to see where do clubs prioritize things. And I have a, I have some, th- I have some suspicions as to what Arteta might think in those instances. But I, you know, yeah. I haven't really been in that circumstance for a while, so I don't really <laughs> know what, exactly how that would look. So I, I imagine one kind of implied downside if, let's say, MLS did come back and said, well, screw you, we're pulling out of U.S. soccer. I I imagine that that would also mean that the U.S. would basically give up hosting World Cup going forward. Like, obviously, it's too late for next year or this year, but... No, I no, I don't think that. I don't think so. Part of that was because the, the World Cup ideally was given to a country, you know, that, you know, that is invested in the sport. Right. And in the mid '80s, it's fair to say the United States was not invested in soccer. Oh, okay. That is, that is a per- so the the awarding of the World Cup to the U.S. A little bit of your soccer history here. The awarding of the of the cup to the U.S. was a bit of a it was a gamble in the sense that you know they thought there was an opportunity to make a lot of money. Turns out they were right, but also they were bringing the World Cup to a country that hadn't been to the competition since 1950. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had never been, you know, was never considered particularly good. Didn't so really have what, a very large following. You mean sport participated all. in the competition since 1950. We didn't have a national team make it to the World Cup since 1950. Correct. The last time okay. we'd been in there. And we had, I mean, 
we hadn't, I mean, there, there have been a couple of times we missed the final round of qualifying at CONCACAF. We were not good. Um, There was a long drought between, uh, in fact, there were some people who suggest that there was even some suggestions in the late 80s that if we didn't actually qualify for 1990, they might pull the 94 World Cup. Now, I think that's a bit overstated, given how how much long-term planning is put into this, how much money gets sunk into it. I think at that point, once they did it and extracted like the agreement for starting a league, I think you're kind of... You're kind of on the path there. But still, there was a question of how seriously do we take U.S. soccer? And there was a real concern the U.S. was perhaps, I mean, you put them in the World Cup. They didn't have to qualify. They were automatically in. I mean, were they good enough to even get out of their group? I mean, the host country had never gotten, had never failed to get out of the group. Now, yeah. we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, which was good. Uh, we finished in third, but we worked it. We got through. Um, tiebreaker, totally legit. Nothing, nothing weird. Um, but... You know, it, it, it turned out to be subsequent World Cups. Uh, South Africa, I think, was actually the first who didn't qual- who didn't get out of their group, and then Qatar actually didn't this past uh, this yeah. past uh, little more than a year ago at this point. But but even then, in those cases, South Africa is a longstanding national league, uh, including a couple of big name teams that well, they're, they're probably most famous for making it making it into <laughs> to, uh, the FIFA or now uh, EAFC, the video games. Okay, um, yeah. a couple of teams like I think Kaiser Chiefs is one of them. Sundowns. There's a few South African teams that have their names in there, huh. um, but the league exists. It has some prominent clubs within Africa, yeah. and then you know Qatar that has a league that's been around for a while as well. So the sport is well established in them. They are to a certain extent soccer countries. The U.S. of course is a bit of the outlier. We have, as I, I think we sort of, we talked about talking about this. The U.S. has a lot of other sports that we care about in soccer. Not yep. really. So I think stay, that's part of Stay tuned of the, for later in this episode, yeah. Right, but I think that's part <laughs> of where that, that conversation came from in in, in the, the late 80s and the early 90s, is the United States ser- a serious enough of a country that we can actually host the World Cup there. Sure. And then it's not going to be a, like a complete embarrassment that nobody in the U.S. cares. You know, yep. they're going to host this, one of the biggest sporting events in the world, and I guess the fear, you know, we held a party and nobody came. Yep. Now again, turns out to be wrong because it was in fact the, it was in fact the best attended World Cup ever. Still holds that record, which I'm sure we will break in 2026. In part because we're hosting again. Yeah. <laughs> also, there are a lot. There were only 24 teams in the World Cup. Uh, that was the last 2014 World Cup, and then they've been at 32 since then. And this past one was the last of the 32 teams, and now they're they're going to be 48 uh, hmm. starting for this next one. Yeah. All right, well, we've got one more follow-up question, but uh, before that, let's share with our listeners the the secret of how we make the show, which is not really a secret if you've been listening for a while, which is uh, Zencaster. So that's what we use for recording every episode, and uh, it couldn't be easier. We open it up, we both log in, and that's it. All we need to do is log in using our browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. We record studio-quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. You can feel a sense of zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. It is an all-in-one solution, so if you've ever thought about podcasting before and you gave up thinking you needed a lot of different tools and services... Well, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and then easily distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. You can also use their new iPhone app that makes it easier than ever to record with a, with their 
native experience. It's great. And you can actually record up to 4K now, apparently, in the mobile app, too, coming soon. So um, that's going to be good to look for. So if that sounds good to you, you can, of course, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code Gooner, G-O-O-N-E-R, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience as we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time for you to share your story. There's a link in the description. So last follow-up question. Um, we talked about the FA Cup and our <laughs> exit from it for this season. And I had completely forgotten from last season until you mentioned it last time that, yeah, the loss is not the worst outcome. Drawing is the worst outcome because then you have another match in this competition, especially when we're playing against Liverpool. That would have been really bad. Um so that got me thinking that that's a very unusual practice from what I've seen so far, as far as having the tiebreaker be an entire second match. It leads me to wonder why that would be the case and how common that is. Cause I've seen, so in the UEFA competitions, you have an extra 30 minutes broken into two 15 minute halves. And if that doesn't resolve it, then you have a penalty shootout. Um, if and Chris jump in, if I'm remembering wrong and in a lot of other competitions, it's just the penalty shootout when it ends in a draw. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you, can you speak to that a little bit? What's, what's going on with that? So, yeah. So a lot of this stems back from the quirks of the, the, the game and its origins. Remember, this is the English game that starts way back in the late 19th century. And I, I guess the best way to probably say it is the most sporting thing was, well, if you tied, we should just play again. Okay. And now the big thing that tends to happen with the replays is um, they will actually switch sites. So, for example, had we drawn with Liverpool last weekend, the replay would have been at Anfield. Right. And that would mean, well, we couldn't beat them at home, now we have to, or they couldn't win at our place, now we get to see if they could win at home, could we win at their place. Um, in recent years, and granted, of course, we should also point out this started back in the late 19th century. It predates even the Football League, wow. uh, the FA Cup, but also this pre, you know, certainly predates the Premier League and obviously predates continental competition, the League Cup, all these other things. It sounds and so, like it predates professional sports, basically. <laughs> to, well, I mean, remember, it, the FA Cup, it, and, and think of the name of this one, too, the, the U.S. Open Cup. It is an open competition. Anyone can qualify. Uh, so, I mean, it, it is theoretically the FA Cup is an open competition that any organized team in England has a chance to compete and qualify for and eventually theoretically make your way deep into the tournament to play, a, to, well, not to play a Premier League team, but to, to go to Wembley and win the darn thing. Mm. Um, obviously, that's, that's very difficult. Um, and there are early qualification rounds, and there are certain there are certain rules about like, you know, what you have to do to qualify for the qualification rounds. And we're we're now talking about like amateur level teams, sure. or you know, maybe one or you know, a couple ringers with a couple ringers maybe at best. Uh, but we're we're talking the lowest of the low levels uh, when this sort of thing goes on. But the idea is it is an open competition that anybody could theoretically compete in and ultimately win. Um, which is true, by the way. Anytime you hear that word "open" attached to it, if you you know watch for those if you know tennis or golf, they both have a U.S. Open. It is an open competition that anyone can qualify for. Um, 
So, you know, keep those keep that dream alive to, you know, play tennis in Queens uh, later <laughs> this year, I guess. Um, but, like... Yeah, it, 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 because it's, it's, it's open like that, I mean, it, it, there's this deep-rooted sporting tradition. There are notions of amateurism. I mean, it really does predate the idea. This is essentially the original organized competition. You right. didn't have leagues, you didn't have schedules. It was just you match up and you keep playing until somebody's left is the only winner and they win a trophy. Right. Um, yeah, a, chal- a challenge cup. Yeah, no, not a challenge like- cup. That's a different thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. A challenge cup is a different thing, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, it just sounds like so it's basically tradition. Like this is the way they've been doing it forever. And it started in a time where it was just not as competitive, where if this was basically the only organized competition you'd be playing in, yeah, sure. Why not play a second match to, to try and see who wins? You don't have schedule congestion and professional athletes training and like competing so frequently where it's like, yeah, okay, we'll play. We'll, we'll try again next week and see what happens. Like, yeah. it seemed like a lot more casual perhaps right so but we, we should add i mean we say as soon as um you know as soon as you start having competition it becomes competitive and it did not take long for the notion of competition to really get going people you know teams to take this seriously there was a, a fascinating series on netflix a couple of years ago uh called the, i think it was called the english game yeah it's come it up called? before yes Right, and it talks about. I mean, it uses the FA, FA Cup, and one of the clubs it's talking about is was really Blackburn Rovers, which was one of one of the first professional clubs. They paid people who weren't from Blackburn to move to Blackburn, work in the factory, but also to play for the for Rovers, the team in the town. And there were, you know, the, like any fictional example, it takes any fictionalized you know movie version of a story, it takes several different stories that kind of crams them into one story. But there is a class element involved in the way they tell the story about, um, I think it's Blackburn, and they said against, I think the team was called the Old Etonians. They were basically a whole bunch of rich guys who all went to eat the, the famous boarding school. And of course, they didn't They didn't have to, they, they weren't professionals because they were rich and they were right. all bankers and they were all, you know, you know, the sons of earls and stuff. They, they you know, so whereas, you know, some of the, the Blackburn players are, are factory workers who don't have any money, uh, you know, who have to work so many hours for their for their money and, and all sorts of things like that. And there are rules about, you know, amateurism and, and how many hours we're practicing. So much of that has gone away. Um, but certainly they played multiple replays. I, I did see this is this is what I'm looking up. The ideas, uh, the uh, record number of replays, because it used to be. They would keep replaying it until somebody won. Oh wow! The record, the record <laughs> according to this, is 1971. Alva Church and Oxford City played six times Ooh. before they finally got a winner. Um, which you know, yikes! Uh, <laughs> so, just to clarify, these days the rule is that if the second, if the replay ends in a draw, then it goes to shootouts. Right now. Um, well, so uh, it, it, let's see. We've got multiple replays. I'm finally finding information here. Multiple replays were scrapped for the competition uh, prior uh, proper in 1992, about the time of the foundation of the Premier League. Now, the idea that's multiple replays, so you would, and you still would in the earlier rounds have one replay, right? Um, in 2000, they cut out replays from the semifinal and the final. It used to be oh, they would okay. replay the final. 
Wow. Which, is, which is wild if you think about it. Um, <laughs> is it really even the final then? <laughs> and that, that was 2000. They got rid of that. Yeah. Uh, and then for, let's see, again, just reading the Wikipedia article from the quarterfinals in, starting in 2017 and then from the fifth round in 2020. Um, so basically, this current round that we just played, the third round, and then not this weekend, but the next weekend is the fourth round. They still have replays. And apparently they're already not sure if that's going to happen, you know, after this season. We might be seeing the end. This might be the death of the replay this year. Huh. This might be that. Um, because so much of it is tied into, of course, the number of games being played, especially by top players at the top clubs. Right. Um we think about all the competitions they have, plus how many of those guys play for their national teams. And of course you have sure. those games and you just the work, the load and the minutes they're playing. And it really is, has been increasing. Um, so well, they, yeah, say, and, and uh, especially yeah. if you compare to other sports, like it just, you know, the, the frame of reference being American sports where it's like, if you play for major, any major league team, the NFL hockey, whatever it is, th- they play their regular season they may make it to the postseason, and if not, they're done. Aside from that, any given player might play in an all-star game or something like that, mm-hmm. but that's basically it, right? Yeah, and you'll have you'll have national teams in those sports too. And, sure, and you, so, but they don't they don't for a lot of reasons they don't carry necessarily carry the same cachet as the as the national teams for soccer. The competitions are less numerous. I mean, I, I follow ice hockey, so. The Olympics are a big deal in America, yeah. but if you go to Europe, the, the World Championships are a big deal. They're also held at about the same time as the, you know, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs of the NHL. So the U.S. and Canadian teams tend to be made up of a lot of guys who played for teams that didn't make the playoffs, okay. which of course means they aren't that good. You know, the, <laughs> the best American and Canadian players won't go to the World Championships. Why? Well, because they're playing for the Stanley Cup, right? right? You know, and it has to do with how important the competition is. Like the idea of a player, I mean, you know, because of the way, that, you know, FIFA works with the different leagues and the confederations and all these conversations get had, there's a lot of organization and structure being put into when national national team games are played versus when uh, domestic league games get to be played. This is what we talk about, the FIFA windows, these spaces where internationals are going to be played and basically FIFA tells the clubs, no, you cannot deny players that, you know, you, you, if a player wants to go play for his national team, you have to let him. Right. Um, now some clubs will fiddle with that. You know, clubs that will like, Oh, he's hurt. So he probably shouldn't go. And, and, you know, they don't always do this on their own. They do this in conjunction with the players as well. Like, you know, if there's a player, the player, I mean, players want to get called for their national teams, especially the bigger national, like, you know, we talked about with Brazil. So to be called for the team is is a massive honor. Like that, you know, that's what you play for is to play yeah. for that team. And, you know, that, and so sometimes they'll go. I mean, I know historically Arsenal has always had a policy of if a player wants to go, certainly under Wenger, this was true. If a player wants to go play for his national team, he's, he's allowed to go. Arsenal may recommend otherwise. Like, oh, we'd really like it if you stayed here. We really... You know, we think you need to rehab. Mostly injuries is what they think you need to rehab this. Um, but if the player wants to go, Arsenal says, yes, you can go. Yeah. And a lot of other clubs do that. I mean, you don't want to be a club that doesn't let the, you know, it has a reputation of letting your 
your star players not go play for the national team because that sure. hurts you in the transfer market. Um, yeah. So yeah, there, yeah, there, um, and but you'll also see, for example, this weekend, this coming weekend, yeah, the twentieth, uh, the U.S. national team will play a game against Slovenia. Um, it's the our roster is made up of a bunch of guys from MLS who are about to start training camp. So th- this is basically a chance to see some guys who will be at the back end of the roster. Uh, yeah. Is it is the January camp as it's been called? The U.S. has done this for several years. We call it the January camp. Some U.S. fans rather derisively call it Camp Cupcake um, <laughs> because it tends to be a year. bunch of yeah. right <laughs> again a bunch of guys who aren't getting you know. Really, the best of them are going to be fringe players or bottom of the roster guys on the senior national team. But maybe it gets them in front of the coaches, gets them into the system. They can see some things. It increases their chances of being called up later. Uh, we're going to play Slovenia, who, gosh, you've never heard of any of these guys. I mean, the Slovenian league is still playing. Um, oh, okay. Any good Slovenian players, if they don't play in Slovenia, are probably playing somewhere else in Europe. So it's going to be a bunch of guys that, you know, a bunch of youth players, basically. And they're going to play in San Antonio, which is a lovely city, but does not have a, you know, it, it does not have a major team in a major stadium. Right. So, um, yep. Yeah. All right. So that, that conversation kind of veered in a direction that uh, dovetails a little bit with my first uh, question that doesn't particularly pertain to last week. It's just something I've been kind of wondering about. Um, so, you know, as, as longtime listeners will recall, not only am I fairly new to following soccer, like I've never really followed any professional sports with any seriousness here. I'm, I'm passably familiar with all the sports and the rules and I can watch and appreciate baseball, basketball, football, hockey, et cetera. Um, but I've never really like followed it closely enough to, to be very knowledgeable about the professional level. Um, so when we talk about, for instance, like in India, we've talked about how cricket is the number one sport by a very wide margin. And even though they're the most populous country in the world, that they don't necessarily have a, as good a soccer team as you might expect a country that large to have because there isn't the interest there because they're all watching and playing cricket. Um, what I was wondering is how does that situation compare to the U S because we have a lot of sports that have very large followings. And I was wondering if, if you knew what the breakdown is. I mean, it seems to me from what I've seen, American football is probably the biggest of most people watching on a regular basis. It's one game a week. The Super Bowl always obviously draws in huge viewership. It's like the biggest televised event in the world mm-hmm. every year. I, well, I think the world, definitely the country. I don't know about the world. It's it definitely in the, it, it's in the U.S. So I, yeah. It is outdrawn internationally by several other things. Okay. Eurovision, uh, I think is a big one. Um, the Champions League final is a, yeah. is a big one, frankly. Yeah. So baseball, basketball, football, hockey, like they're all, followed by a lot of people. I don't, I don't know which of them, if any, has a majority and if, and then if not, which is a plurality, like, do you, do you know how it breaks down? And then I know soccer is going to be underneath all those, but I'm just kind of wondering how close they all are to each other. Right. So the, the, uh, I mean, you're right in, in the U S American football is, is King. The, the NFL is the, the behemoth. In, in American television, frankly, at this point, television, you know, with the U.S. so much at this time, it's television, um, understandably so. But, you know, the NFL is is king, and, and there are a lot of ways you can measure this. The viewership is out the is out the out the window, or out the window, and live sports in general is so is so important to American television because it's one of the few things you have to consume live. 
I mean, I realize I'm talking to someone who, as we talked about, doesn't watch games live. But but for most Often. people, like, <laughs> yeah, like think about the way we consume so much media these days. You watch these TV shows sort of whenever you can. You know, you yeah. you, either, you 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 still haven't finished Ted Lasso, have you? No. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. But think about like you know, and and these shows get dropped to be binged. But how many people really binge the whole ten hours of a of a series? You know, the day it comes out. Maybe you space out over a couple of days, uh, <laughs> right. you know, just be, or like I'll binge it. But like it dropped on a Tuesday. I'll, I'll watch it on the weekend, you know, when I have time, you know. Right. You know, sports. The Houston Texans are going to play a game on Saturday, 430 Eastern, 330 Central. They're going to play Baltimore in the playoffs. That's when it's going to happen. Right. And like once it ends, you're going to know what happened. Especially with, like, especially I live in Houston, so I'm going to hear, you know, I'm going to know what's at what what's happening. I'm going to hear about it, um, you know, whether or not they win or lose. But like, you have to almost have to be watching live to participate in the conversation about it, right? So live sports are incredibly valuable. Nothing's bigger than football, and nothing's bigger than the NFL. You know, the, the joke is the yep. NFL. The NFL took a day of the week for itself, and they took the day that used to belong to God. Like they are, <laughs> yeah, they took Sunday. The next one's college football. College football is massive, especially as you get to the big brands, the SEC, the Big Ten, the big conferences. Um, now, pretty much all the big brands are in those conferences: the SEC and the Big Ten. It's all we don't have. We don't have time to get into that conversation. <laughs> um, after that, baseball, especially Major League Baseball, is generally considered number two. Uh, bas- basketball, more the NBA, but college has a lot of it. At that point, once you start getting below football, things start to become very regional. And okay. you start to see particular areas. Like baseball is huge in the Northeast, especially watching baseball. You go to other parts of the country, you know, it depends. Um, maybe around certain cities, LA with the Dodgers, you know, Houston, the Astros. So, you know, you see points where it's big, but it's always big in the Northeast and other parts. You know, kind of depends on how the team is doing. Mm. Um, basketball is big in particular spaces and with particular populations. Hockey is big in certain areas and certain regions of the country. Remember, the U.S. is a people sort of forget this. The U.S. is one country. It's the size of a continent. You know, mm. you, there are so many regional variations that exist in a country this size. Um, you know, our sporting tastes are generally, you know, very, very and really it is intensely regional. On a broad national scale, the, the really you could think of it as football, baseball, um, basketball, hockey, soccer. Now, depending on how you measure that, you know, people will tell you that they call the big four leagues: Major League Baseball, the National Football League, the National Basketball Association, and uh, the National Hockey League. Yeah, big four leagues. MLS can tell you, now it just gets, gets into measurement, MLS has lower TV ratings than certainly the NBA or the NHL. It does have better attendance figures than the NHL, and in some okay. markets has better TV ratings than the NHL, and some markets has better numbers than, than the NBA. Um, very few, but, like, the you know, there's a kind of a... Now we get into a gray area as far mm. as like how you know the pot moon measuring the relative popularity of the sport. And oh, by the way, talking about soccer, in some ways it's not fair to talk to put American soccer on MLS because you get to parts of the country and a whole chunk of the country, a whole chunk of the population watches soccer. They're not watching MLS; they watch Liga MX. Right? They, you know, all, you know, these people of Mexican heritage who watch 
uh, Monterrey or Club America or the, the, the clubs of their families, the Chivas, Chivas Guadalajara and all of these Mexican right. clubs that they are for their ancestry or their family histories or things like that. So it's this massive soccer watching population. They just watch everything on Telemundo and Univision and they're watching a Mexican league, sure. um, which we don't think of first order, but it's very much there or that large population of people essentially like you, Oh, less so you now because you've gotten into Messi in Miami. But they'll watch. Oh yeah, I'll watch soccer. Right, but I'll, I'll watch the Premier League. I'll watch the Bundesliga. I'll watch right. the. I'll watch the. You know, I'll watch the big time. You know, European clubs. Not this. You know. You know MLS. Just, yeah. They're not good. They're not good enough. I want to watch the best. Yeah. Um, which kind of drives us into the conversation about the Super League. Why should I watch Arsenal play Luton? I kind of just watch them play Juventus and Bayern all the time. You know, there is that sense of audience driving some of those conversations. Um, You know, soccer is very much in the mix in terms of those those leagues and those in terms of um, being watched in this country. And then we haven't even talked about, you know, you go to especially parts of the South, auto racing, especially um, NASCAR and stock car racing. Uh, Formula One has just massively its audience has exploded in the last couple of years. Yeah, I've heard Um, that. Yeah. Tennis, golf, um, you know, so the you know things like the major tournaments, uh, the Masters, the U.S. Open, the British Open, or tennis tournaments like the French Open, Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, right? Tennis and golf both have the U.S. Open, but the the you know, the, the you know those big events draw draw viewers as well, draw population. oh sure. I guess, um, yeah. I guess implicitly, I was talking about team sports, yeah. right? Yeah, no, and, and and that's and that's fair. They do largely draw, you know, the the Masters, for example, golf works as an event, sort of like the yeah. Super Bowl. It's a thing; it happens once a year. You watch it, the Kentucky Derby, you yeah, know, things like that. Whereas, you know, people will tune in every day to watch the Yankees or to watch, right. uh, you know, the watch, uh, you know, the the Dallas Stars, the hockey team, just to, they'll tune, tune in every day regularly to watch these teams play over and over again. Yep. All right, well, the last thing I want to ask you about is a fairly minor one, but it's just kind of a, a funny thing. I didn't know if you had any background on it, but so my my first exposure to this was through T-Ball and <laughs> managing the division for T-Ball and doing the scheduling, and our, our scheduling system would always show, so... Team A, let's say I'm coaching Team A, right? I'd be either Team A at Team B or Team A versus Team B to indicate who was the home team. Now, of course, we're all playing on the same field. We're in the same league in the same town. Technically, there is no real home team or away team. It only matters mm-hmm. so far as who's batting first, basically, right? Which in baseball is a huge difference. but Yeah, much less so in four- to five-year-old T-ball. <laughs> Yeah, in, in terms of the structure of the sport, obviously it, it matters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so, so then fast forward like a year or so, you and I get started. I'm watching Arsenal matches and I become accustomed to home team versus away team is always the notation that you see in broadcasts and score summaries. It's what I use in our show notes because I've, I've seen that and I've, I've uh, adopted that myself. Um, but then it was pointed out to me when I was watching with my dad and we were watching Arsenal and he said, yeah, it's always tough to tell who's, who's home or who's away. It's like, well, no, it's always the first team. He's like, oh, really? Well, no, hockey, it's the other way around. Now, I watched uh, the Blackhawks where they were playing live or I was watching a replay with him and I verified what he was saying that, yeah, like, no, the home team is always second, it looks like, in NHL telecasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always team A at 
team B, right? Is always the way that they say it. So is there consensus in the world? Like who is the outlier? Like, is, or is it really just every sport or every league? <laughs> it's a free for all. <laughs> so, I mean, I think the only sport where there's, well, I shouldn't say that because there's so many things I don't know sports wise. Um, I think I have my theory, and this is admittedly is a theory that the first major team sport in America was baseball. And in baseball, you list the home team second because they bat last, right? We talk, ah. it's written, think about how it's written into the way we talk about the sport, right? The top and the bottom of the sure. inning. You have to put the teams there that way for that to make sense. Otherwise, yeah, why not list the home team? What's the visiting team first? <laughs> you know, if you think about it, it's yeah. kind of, but, but, but because we, we live in a country where baseball was prominent and we've gotten used to this idea of, you know, the home team, you know, away at home. So the away team goes first, then the home team. I think, I think that that has sort of leaked its way into the way we talk about these things in various other sports. Um, I'm going to add to that. I think sort of it adds that if you're looking for a space where I think that's, let me step back from that. When you consider how many sports start in England, I mean, even in American sports, baseball is a form of a, a, a an evolutionary form or advanced form. I said it of cricket. Um, <laughs> I mean, they have football, football, American football grows out of rugby. How many of these sports are English in some ways, English in origin. And just think about how many of those English, English forms, you know, of course, because of the British empire spread out across the world. Both the formal empire and also the, I mean, they talk about how the English influence on the game in South America or in other parts of Europe and how that's, you know, informal empire. Um, you know, you think about it, it a, a lot of the structures are going to be drawn from these English forms, which would list home team, you know, home team first and then the away, then the away team. I think another way to see it is you look at international competition in various other sports. The Olympics is the most common example, but check a world championship for, we talk about the hockey world championships, uh, basketball had a world cup over the summer. Um, which has been going on for some time. It's you know, not, a, not a new thing. But if you look at them almost exclusively, the home team or, in, you know, we talk about for, for uh, record-keeping purposes, the home team is always listed first. So really it seems the idea of away, of away team coming first, the, uh, you know, A at B formulation, to me seems to be a very American one. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't exist in other places. And when other places play baseball... And you look at other places where American influence is predominant, especially within the Western Hemisphere. You're going to see a lot more of that away at you know away at home, the Western Hemisphere, parts of the Pacific, like Japan, which obviously plays a lot of baseball. Um, I suspect you're going to see a lot more of the A at B as opposed to the B versus A formula. Right. Do you know what the NFL and uh, NBA do? If you look at it, if you watch an NBA or an NFL broadcast, um, it's it's going to be it's going to be away at away at home. Okay, so yeah, that definitely seems like a very plausible hypothesis. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's a good thought. That's interesting. <laughs> that's my that's my theory. Um, yeah, which no, I think has a lot going for it, frankly, yeah. and it's not something I've really dug into. But it's it's kind of a weird thing. I suspect it's not one of those you could write a whole book about. But you know, a couple kind of. 
little you know. article. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they, they, we forget sometimes just how very powerful, you know, the explanation of, well, that's just how we've always done it, uh, really kind of fits in a lot of these circumstances. <laughs> well, yeah, like, what else would we do it that way? What other way would we do it? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, no, thanks for that. So um, Arsenal is back next week, right? Yes, we are back. Um, we mentioned we have the week off, so the Premier League is staggering uh, breaks. So about half the league was off this past weekend, including Arsenal, although we did lose some ground uh, to a couple of clubs because uh, they played some games. Um, but not too bad. We're, we're now in fourth. We're five points behind Liverpool at the top, three points behind uh, City and Villa, although Villa is – Villa. we have a game in – all the three of us have a game in hand against Villa – Tottenham is technically tied with us at 40 points, but they played this weekend. They drew with United, so they're off next weekend. So um, hopefully we bounce back from that, right. uh, or at least we, we actually get get a get a real gap and not just a goal difference, a points gap and not just a goal difference one. Uh, we are going to be home to Crystal Palace on Saturday. So, uh, which as it turns out is, uh, so we're home to Crystal Palace on Saturday. Check something on my screen there. Uh, the next weekend is uh, the fourth round of the FA Cup, so we get another break. And then on the 30th, yes, I believe it's the 30th of January, we will play uh, Nottingham Forest. And so we only have two games remaining in uh, January, uh, which is fun, Um, which is good because we really need, as we talked about, we kind of need the time off, Um, especially with the Asian Cup and the African Cup of Nations. So hopefully they won't miss... Those guys, uh, Tomiyasu and El Nene, won't miss too many games. Uh, but anyway, yes, looking ahead this week, Crystal Palace on Saturday, a game uh, that, I mean, we need, obviously, from the case of the league, but Crystal Palace is a team we should beat at home. And I expect to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be optimistic. Time in, time in the sun, everybody's feeling a little better about themselves. <laughs> we get some goals and we're, we're, we're back on, hopefully back on track. Yeah. Because yeah, we got Palace, yeah, Palace Forest. And then less than a week after Forest on February 4th is Liverpool at home again. So. Can't get enough Liverpool. <laughs> oh, oh, no. I, I know full well because that, that'll be the last we see them this year. So I think we'll have enough Liverpool at that point. <laughs> and I'm seeing also that that uh, Crystal Palace match is going to be on USA Network, which means for same-day streaming, it will need to be the NBC Sports app, not Peacock. Mm-hmm. Peacock will have the replay the following day from, from past patterns. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you're watching on YouTube, and we recommend you do, please like and subscribe. To support the show even more, you can become a Gooner U superfan for ad-free episodes, bootleg recordings, and bonus segments and episodes. It's only a dollar a month, and there's a link in the show notes to join. Thanks again to our sponsor, Zencaster. You can find them with our special link in the description. You can follow our show on Twitter at Gooner U Show for updates and to ask questions. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Come on, you gunners.